All right, everybody. Greetings, salutations, welcome. Okay, by this time in class, you've got to be like at a place where you're like, Hi, Father Brian, how are you? I, may, I realize you're a priest, but you're a real person, right? Okay. Um, we've got a lot to cover. I know that never happens, but tonight that's the case. So, uh, Lauren, announcements. Do you want to talk about this? Or do you want me to? Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Um, okay, so we have an announcement about the confirmation mass that was originally scheduled for the 26th, the, the weekend after Easter Vigil. So now we've, we've gotten it bumped up to April, Sunday, April 14th, which is the week before Easter. This confirmation mass is only for confirmandi. Only confirmandi will be at the confirmation mass getting sacraments. So you'll get confirmation and First Communion and, and Holy Communion. Who are confirmandi? Confirmandi are those of you that have been baptized in the Catholic Church but have not received all your sacraments. I feel like this is a test. <laughs> and does anyone have any questions about that? That is at the 11 a.m. Mass. Okay? It's on a Sunday. So that's, that will be during the Mass, so Father Brian's going to keep the homily short. Of course, sort of. Um, and then the confession retreat, which is for confirmandi and candidates. So candidates are those of you that have been baptized in a different Christian religion. Okay, so confirmandi and candidates will be at the confession retreat, which is the day before April 13th on Saturday. Does anyone have any questions about that? Yes, Ashley. I'm sorry? Right, so catechumen, those of you have, who have not been baptized at all will, will not be participating in either of those. Okay, because... Baptism wipes away all sin, so you don't need to go to confession, right? And confirmation, you'll get all of your sacraments at the Easter Vigil. Um, just a reminder about March 10th at 2 p.m. on Sunday. That's the rite of election. And thank you for turning in your sponsor's names, your saint name, and baptism certificate for confirmandi and candidates is due on March 13th. Let's give it real quick, I'll get that. But let's give it up for next year's RCIA teacher. Uh, one, one point I want to make about that um, if you're someone who is baptized Catholic and you're here because you need to receive confirmation and or First Communion, why do we do this? Here's why we're doing this. There's two reasons. Uh, you don't come in at the Easter Vigil because the Easter Vigil is for those of you who are not yet Catholic. And so if you were baptized as a baby, even if you haven't practiced in a long time, 
baptism is your entrance to the family. And so you're already part of the family. So we're not welcoming you into the family. You've always been a part of the family. And the second reason we're doing it is because um, usually what we've done every year before now is we have confirmation for those of you who are baptized Catholic but need to be confirmed and receive First Communion. We did that with our normal confirmation mass, which has meant that there's like four adults from RCIA and 50 fourth graders, third graders. And it's just kind of awkward, you know, because the bishop comes and he's like, hey, kids. And like all of our adults are like, I'm going to kill Father Brian. <laughs> so this is really cool. And if you're, if you're one of those people, what this also means is that you, so you're going to be confirmed and receive First Communion on Palm Sunday, which means that during Holy Week, so Holy Thursday when Jesus gave us the priesthood in the Eucharist, Good Friday when he died on the cross, and then Easter, you are already in the church and able to celebrate fully as a fully initiated Catholic. So it's pretty cool. Okay, so that's Palm Sunday. Convalidations. I've talked with one couple here. If you were someone, if you were baptized Catholic and you were married in a non-Catholic ceremony, we're going to need to bless your marriage. And I don't want to go too deep into that tonight, um, but come see me. If you're someone who is married, if you were baptized Catholic, but you were married somewhere other than a Catholic church, just come talk to me. We'll work through it, but we just need to kind of get your marriage blessed. And then just like Lauren said, we need to do saint names. Okay, tonight we're going to finish up over there. So in just a minute, we're going to go back over to the church side. We're going to walk through the Mass. Um, and then we're going to hopefully finish up. We're going to do confirmation. And if we get to it, we'll talk about confession and the theology. And who's excited to go to confession and tell all your sins to a priest? All right. Cool. Awesome. Me too. I go like every two weeks. Yeah. So, good, great question. What is the confession retreat? The confession retreat is that... So if you've never, if you're someone who has to go to confession, you need to go to confession before you receive the Eucharist if you've already been baptized. So I like what Lauren said, is that what the Bible teaches and what the church teaches is that baptism washes away all of your sins. And so everyone at this time in RCIA, those people who haven't, who hasn't been baptized yet? Okay, everyone in the class hates you. Because you don't have to go to confession <laughs> until after, after you're baptized. In fact, you can't. And everybody else is like, crap, right? So the confession retreat is for those of you who need to go to confession. And what we're going to do, we're going to talk tonight, hopefully we get to it, we're going to talk a little bit about the theology of why do we have you go to confession to a priest. We'll talk about that. Um, but then we're just going to have a day where we actually do it. And what we'll do is we'll walk through the practicals. I'm going to give you tonight and next time the theology. But on the confession retreat, we're going to be like, but what do I do? And we'll prep you a little bit beforehand, like tonight and next time for that. But we'll walk you through that. And then what we'll have is we'll have like three priests. So every year in RCIA, there are people who, when confession time comes, it's a little nerve-wracking. I understand that. 
There's some people who will say, I will only go to Father Brian. And there's other people who will say, I will never go to Father Brian um, ever, no matter what happens. Whichever way is fine, but we want to give you that option. You can go with me. You can go with someone else. It doesn't matter. Whatever you're more comfortable with. So that's, that's what that day is about. Lauren's going to tell you all of her sins. Okay, other questions? Yeah. No, it'll be like a half day. And more like two hours, something like that. We'll do a wrap-up together. So we'll start, we'll have like some, you know, tasty, delicious donuts, a little coffee. We'll refresh you a little bit. We'll calm your nerves because usually there's a little bit of nerves. And then we'll have confession time, and then we'll have some time of prayer, and then we'll finish all together. Are we going to lunch? Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. No. So, <clears throat> great question. So, we should do this again. So, Confirmandi. There's three groups of people who are trying to get sacraments here. Confirmandi, candidates, and catechumens. We make them all with C's to confuse you. So, so confirmandi means you were baptized Catholic. That's what that means. And what it means is you need the sacrament of confirmation. You might also need Eucharist. But that's what a, com- a confirmandi is. A candidate is someone who is baptized but not Catholic. So if you were baptized in a non-denominational church, a Lutheran church, a Presbyterian church, a Methodist, a Baptist, something like that, this, this is you. Catechumens means you are not baptized. And so RCIA, right, it goes all the way back to very, very ancient Christianity. And it's so cool. Like, this is the way the earliest Christians brought people into the Catholic Church. But in those times, right, because the world hadn't become Catholic yet in Western civilization, almost everyone was over here. And so, so RCIA originally was designed for people who had not been baptized. That was a, what it was all about. In the modern world, things have changed a little bit. So it's still primarily designed for this group of people. But we've decided, you know, it's, it's so, I think it's such a great thing. And so we, we've opened it up to these groups as well. Did anybody else, one last question before, and we should get going, because you know me, we'll be trapped here forever. Um, <clears throat> a couple years ago, we had a guy who's really active here at Lourdes. He's become a good friend of mine. And he was in this crowd, and he went to Mass every single Sunday. He had received First Communion, but he just never got confirmed. 
And he came, actually Miranda was a little bit this way too. Where's Miranda? Right over there. So <clears throat> he came to RCIA and he was like, he's like, I think I'm in the wrong place. This is for people who are becoming Catholic. He's like, I'm already Catholic. I was baptized. I've received my first communion. I just, I just need to get confirmed. And I was like, you're in the right place. And he goes, this class is like, six or seven or eight, whatever many months it is. And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> and he was like, I didn't know him at the time, but he walked away and he was like, he turned to his wife. He's like, I hate my life. Like, I can't believe they're going to make me do this. And now he's like super involved. It really helped him grow in his faith a ton. Uh, it was a neat thing. And Miranda, do you want to tell your story? Where is she? Yeah. So she's back helping this year? Yeah. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Okay, any last questions before we head over and keep walking through the mess? How many, raise your hand if you need a schedule. The new schedule. There's a new schedule. If you didn't get a new schedule tonight, you need one. So. Oh, like this one that says the mass. Do you want to take mine? So maybe just run like 15 of each. Okay. Let's uh, let's move. Oh yeah, one more, Mauricio. Wait, hold on. Say that one more time. No, they've already been baptized. So if you're a candidate, the Catholic Church recognizes almost any baptism. The only exception to this, if you were baptized in the Mormon religion um, or like, let's say, Jehovah's Witness, then come talk to me because we're probably need to baptize you again. Or if you have absolutely no proof that you were baptized. That's also true. And, and here's the only reason for that. The only reason is that these two, they, they, these groups would consider themselves Christians. And not to be harsh about it, but they believe such radically different things than Christians believe about God that the Catholic Church has actually said these are actually not Christians. So... Don't, please don't tell a Mormon that, or if you are a Mormon, like, I have lots of Mormon friends, and I don't like those, you know, I'm like, you know you're not a Christian, right? Like, don't do that, not good for ecumenism. But the reason is, like, <clears throat> Mormons, I don't even know if I want to get into this, they just believe in a very, very radically different God than we do. And it's not the same. So, but other than that, we very rarely have that. If you were baptized as, a, again, a Presbyterian, a Baptist, a Methodist, um, a non-denominational, an Anglican, an Episcopalian, if you were anything like that, 
your baptism is valid, and it's going to be just fine, as long as we can show that it actually happened. That's why we need your baptismal certificate. Okay, let's go to the other side. we got a lot to talk about. Okay, so feel free to stop me at different times um, tonight. And we've got, some of you have those, those blue books that have the mass in there. Um, so I forget where we, does anybody remember where we left off last time? We got to the end of the Liturgy of the Word. Okay, so that's, yeah, the end of the Liturgy of the Word. So we talked last time about, about the, the readings. We, we go into God's presence, and the first thing we do is we ask forgiveness so we can be in his presence, just like everywhere across the Bible. Um, and I do encourage you, when you come to Mass and we start that way, brothers and sisters or brethren, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I always pause there. Not everyone does. But it is a great time, like you're supposed to be active, prayerful, and, say, and really engaging, not just waiting for me to say the next thing, but saying in your heart and your mind, all right, Lord, I know, I know that I did this today or in the last week or however long ago. Lord, forgive me my sins. Make me, make me ready to be in your presence. Something like that. Okay, so we, just to recap, we did that. Then there's the Gloria, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to people of goodwill. So we praise God with the song the angels sing uh, when they appear to the shepherds in Bethlehem. Then we have the uh, opening prayer. So the priest gathers all the prayers of the people. We pray to God. Then we sit. <clears throat> and then we have readings. Yep. Neat. Yeah, so it adds, it adds solemnity. So the, the priest does not have to do that. So if you come to Lord's, I try to chant. The Seminoff sisters can tell you painfully so. Um, but I try to chant. And why is that? It's something that just adds a, a level of um, reverence and solemnity, hopefully. And... So instead of just saying words, the chant is meant to say, this is something really beautiful and really, I don't know, something holy. So it's something like that. So opening prayer, then we have the first reading from the Old Testament, right? <clears throat> uh, the responsorial psalm, which is usually sung. doesn't have to be, but usually it is. And then, and by the way, that psalm, the it'll... Um, take up the main theme of the readings usually. So, for instance, this coming Sunday, the, what we're going to sing in Mass is the Lord is kind and merciful. And that theme is what Jesus is going to say in, Matt, or in Luke chapter 6 in the Gospel. Um, the first reading is about David having a chance to kill King Saul, who is trying to kill him, but in mercy, he doesn't. And so the gospel and the first reading are both about mercy. <clears throat> and then the psalm in the middle is going to say, <clears throat> the Lord is kind and merciful. So we get Old Testament, Psalm, New Testament reading. This weekend it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, St. Paul, and then the gospel.
We stand for the gospel because it's the most important. Right? Our bodies say things. Um, okay, and then homily is meant to explain the readings and to help us grow in two things, I would say. They're supposed to help us grow in knowledge of our faith and in love. Yeah, Nate. Thank you. Yeah, stop me about if there's anything you remember that I'm skipping. So the priest will, everyone stands and we all sing Alleluia. And uh, when the, the priest gets to the ambo, which is over there right now, um, see that right knee? Right, the priest is here. And what all have is what's called the lectionary or the book of the Gospels. And what this is, is just the readings. Lex, lexio in Latin is a reading. And when the, the priest says, the Lord be with you and with your spirit, a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. And everyone says what? Glory to you, O Lord. And one of the things I want to encourage you to, if you're new to this, it's just going to take time. Right? And I know it feels awkward when you go to Mass and the person next to you is like, glory to you, O Lord. And you're like, you just, do you ever just kind of mumble it? Do you guys do that? You're like, uh-huh. That's okay. It just takes time. And with time, it'll be second nature. And you'll feel comfortable. But anyway, what the priest does is he makes the sign of the cross on the words of the gospel. And then he makes the cross on his head, his lips, and his heart. And the priest says a prayer. And he says, may the Lord be in my mind, uh, on my lips, and in my heart, that I might worthily proclaim his gospel. And, and again, to go back to something we said last time, the, uh, <clears throat> we have bodies. Right? And like, you know when you were a kid and you were angry and you were like throwing a temper tantrum? Did you ever like jump on the floor and like pound your f fists and your feet? Most of you know, but yeah, you did that, right? Why? Because our bodies can say things. Right? And when you're a little kid and you're throwing a temper tantrum, it is good and right and just to throw your body on the floor and pound, right? Because that says something, right? And so this is why we do all these things in the liturgy, is that God, and I can't say this enough, God did not create you the way he created an angel, right? Angels do not have bodies. You do, right? That's part of who you are. And our bodies are important. They're not evil. They're good. And God has given us ways of saying things, of, of doing things that are, that are profoundly beautiful with our bodies. Okay. So we, the priest uh, reads the gospel. We all stand. Why? Because the gospels are the most important part of the whole Bible because they're the story of Jesus himself. And so our bodies are telling us this is different. Right? Right, just like, and if you think about it, in Western civilization, right, when someone important walks in, when the president walks in the room, right, everyone stands. 
Right? There's, there's something about that. Okay, then we sit. The priest preaches a homily. Hopefully it's good. Everybody prays for that. Um, and then we have the creed where we profess our faith. And again, we, we talked briefly about that, but we're going to keep moving. Intercessions, we pray for the church, our country, and the whole world, and the dead as well. And then we go into that liturgy of the Eucharist. So last time, is here's where we finished off, is that offertory. Remember last time we talked about how, we're going to hit this pretty hard tonight, is that what, what happens in the Mass, we believe that if you go back to our Eucharist class, is that we are at Mount Calvary. We literally believe that. Mount Calvary, it's not repeated, but it is made present. The one sacrifice of Christ, once for all, is made present for all in the Mass. And so what happens on the cross, right, is Jesus offers everything he has, everything he is to the Father. And if you're a baptized Christian, St. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3 and 6 and Ephesians 4 and a lot of other places that if you're a baptized Christian, you're a member of the body of Christ. And so what happens in the Mass is that Christ offers himself to God, to the Father. Right on the cross, everything he has, everything he is, is offered to God. And so when the, those gifts, the bread and the wine, are brought up to the altar, if you're going to be, if you want to grow in holiness, if you want Mass to not be boring, if you want to have it just rip your heart out and make you new, one of the things you have to do is when those gifts come up, what happens is that those gifts are going to be turned into the body and blood of Christ. Jesus is going to give himself fully to God. And what you should be saying is, here's my life too. Right? These gifts are being brought up, and Lord, with those, with the bread and the wine that are being brought to the altar, spiritually, I place myself there. My trials, my fears, my, the, the ways that I've kind of screwed up this week, my hopes. Lord, like, I put that up there with those gifts and I give it to you. I promise you if you do that, promise you, you won't be bored of Mass. And you'll go from being a spectator to being what the church calls an active participant. And with that, an active participant, most people, when they hear that phrase, what they think that means is I'm a reader at Mass or a Eucharistic minister. Those are good things, but it's not what it means. An active participant at Mass is someone who prays the Mass. They don't just go to Mass. They don't just watch Father Brian say Mass. They offer themselves with Christ to the Father. Is that not so beautiful? I love that. That'll change your life. If you do that, and you Catholics who have been going for a long time, you know it's easy to go through the motions. If you start doing this, I promise you it'll change your life. Okay. Mary, will you help me out? Um, 
Well, actually, I did, that's there. I think I'm actually okay for now. I didn't think the book was up here. So, no, I got it, actually. It's, it's up here. Okay, so, when the priest sets the altar, um, we have this book. This is called the Roman Missal, and it's the same everywhere in the world. And so it's a different languages, obviously, wherever you're at. But this is, this is the same book every priest in the world uses. Um, and it's, it's essentially the same going all the way back to the earliest Christians. Um, so then what happens with me, with whatever priest is saying Mass, we will, we have this white cloth, the first one, it's kind of a bigger white cloth. It's called a corporal. And you don't have to remember this, but this white cloth, what it does is that it catches any crumbs. And so if, if, if I'm breaking the bread and crumbs break off, corporal is, is from the um, Latin word corpus, meaning body. So it catches the body of Christ. And it's a way that we're just reverent that we take things seriously. So we unfold that. Then we have, um, and Mary, would you, where is Mary? Will you grab me a priest host? I forgot one of those. And it should be back behind that shelf in that rolling cart. See how organized I am? Okay, so anyway, so the priest starts, <coughs> and when the priest gets up here, you can offer the Mass for someone. The most powerful prayer we have as Catholics is the Mass. So you'll hear me say, today's Mass is offered for, today, this morning's Mass was offered for Susanna Young. And this is a way of praying for them. We offer Jesus' prayer on the cross for that person. Yep. Um, and then the priest takes the bread, and he'll elevate, this thing is called a patent. And it doesn't have a huge spiritual significance. It's just a place of holding the priest's host. So the priest will say, Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you. Fruit of the earth and work of human hands, it will become for us the bread of life. And everyone says, Blessed be God forever. Now, in the Didache, which I didn't bring tonight, the Didache is the earliest Christian document we have evidence of that's not a part of the Bible. The Didache talks about the Mass. It was probably written in the, the 60s, 80, right? Think about that. The, the first book in the Bible is written in the year 37 in the New Testament. The last one is about the year 100. We're talking about the years in the, the 60s, 80, probably. But anyway, so the Didache um, has a very similar phrase to that. All the way back, right, we're talking about 30 years after Jesus ascended to heaven. Amazing. So blessed be God forever. Then the priest takes the chalice, and before this, he's poured wine and water into it. Does anybody know, why do we put water in with the wine? It's not holy water. It's a good guess. This is a tough one, yeah. 
That's a really good thought, but it's not, it's totally wrong. <laughs> Why it is, uh, is because, so that there's a prayer that the priest prays silently. And, and again, one of the things about, about sacraments, brothers and sisters, I, there's so much I want to say to you. There's so many things, and I can't say it all. But one of the things I want to say to you is that, like, in the Catholic Church, like, we understand mystery. Right? You, don't have to under, you don't have to know everything. There are some things that are mysterious. And my, my best analogy for this goes like this. There is something about beauty that there's, there's an appropriate nature that it is veiled. Right? Like, like women today, all you women know, it's a, it's a hugely tempting thing to use your beauty and to be immodest because you know it's powerful. But a woman who is veiled, and I don't mean necessarily literally, but a woman who's modest, there's a dignity and a beauty there that on one hand drives men wild, but it makes them respect a mystery. And so some of the prayers in the liturgy, where I'm going with this, some of the prayers in the liturgy are silent, not because they're bad prayers, not because you're not supposed to know them, but there's just something of mystery. So the priest takes wine and puts it in the chalice and then water. And the prayer he says is he says, uh, by the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity. The wine, right, just like Cana, the wine is a symbol of Jesus' divinity. The water is a symbol of his humanity. So that's as, as, as a Jesus, as a divine being, as God, he chose to become a human being. And so the water being poured into that is a symbol of that, that he chose that. So then the priest picks up the chalice. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you. Fruit of the vine and work of human hands, it will become our spiritual drink. Blessed be God forever. Okay, so then the priest bows and he says, uh, with humble spirit and contrite heart, may our sacrifice be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Um, I'm going to get this wrong. It's hard to do it when you're not actually saying Mass. Let me just make sure I get this right. Okay. Here we go. With humble spirit and contrite heart, may we be accepted by you, O Lord, and may our sacrifice in your sight this day be pleasing to you, O Lord our God. So the priest bows and says that. Then he turns, and usually you'll have a server who will wash his hands. And so the usually at Lord's we have boys serve. We can talk about that if you want. Um, but the boys will pour water over my hands. And the prayer the priest says is, uh, wash me, Lord, from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. So priests have a special obligation to live lives of holiness. And if I'm going to stand at the altar, which I am completely unworthy to be here, we acknowledge that. And, and it's just a simple prayer that says, Jesus, I am not worthy to be here. 
Lord, will you wash away my sins? So he washes his hands. And then he turns to the congregation. He says, pray, brethren, and we're going to get to this. I love this. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. So let's just do this. Everyone stands. Stand up. And Catholics, help me out. What do you say? For the praise and the glory of his name, for our good and the good of all his holy church. So let's just pause really quick. One second. So one of the biggest things I want you to get tonight is the priest says, pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours. Right? And so I tell people every year, in the Old Testament, right, when you wanted to get your sins forgiven, you went to the temple, and I always make a joke out of this. I actually think it's funny. But you would go to the temple, and if you had a sin you would have different kinds of sin offerings. So you could have grain, you could have an animal, you might have like a pigeon or a lamb. And if you really screwed up, maybe you'd have like a bull. And I always laugh, aren't you glad that's not today? Because like imagine being in the line for confession and you've got your little dove, or like the other people have their little doves, and you've got a bull. And you know everyone's like, what did that guy do? Right? But here's the point. So Hebrews chapter 9 says this. It says that when Jesus entered the true temple, which is heaven itself, he offered not the blood of bulls or goats, but his own blood. And I get, I get emotional every time I think about this. It's one of my favorite verses. Hebrews 9.11. It's, it's so powerful. But anyway, when Jesus went to heaven, the sacrifice he offered for you was not a bull, it was not a goat, it was not a lamb, it was not a grain offering, it was himself. Right? And so my sacrifice before God, my sacrifice before God is not a bull. My sacrifice is Jesus. Right? So powerful. And so when I say those words, and whoever the priest is says those words at Mass, I want you guys to know that. I want you to think about that. that. That what's on the altar, right, Jesus' body and blood, it's not, it hasn't been transformed yet, but that's your sacrifice. Right? It's not, it's not something like an animal or, a, or grain or wine or whatever it is. It's the body and blood of Christ. And that is so powerful. Okay, may the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and the glory of his name. And notice, and just listen to the words. If you want to be a good Catholic, <clears throat> when you pray, don't just say the words, pray the words. Right? You can, I've been to Mass, you know, thousands and thousands of times. And it's very easy to say, may the Lord accept the sacrifice of your hands for the praise and glory of His name for our good and the good of all His church. Broncos are on in 20 minutes. Right? It's easy to do that. It's harder, but again, this will transform your experience of life as a Christian if you actually pray those words instead of just saying them. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands. Why? 
for the praise and the glory of his name. Lord, may your name be glorified for our good and the good of all his holy church. Powerful things. Okay. So then the priest will chant another prayer. And then we have what's called, there's a dialogue. And we, we don't need to go into what they're called. So then every Mass, the priest will dialogue. It's called, well, I'm not going to tell you. But he'll say, the Lord be with you. And you say, lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Okay. If you have your hand out, turn it over to the backside. And can I borrow somebody's mic? Can I borrow yours? Thank you. Oh, this is the wrong quote. Never mind. Sorry. Well, hang on to those. We'll talk about that quote at the end when we get to communion. Sorry. That was hugely anticlimactic. Yeah, Nate. Why would, why would that change like, Yeah, so there was a change in translation of the Mass. And here's why. It's, it's the, the actual text of the Mass, the official, did not change. Because the official text is in Latin. But what happened was, <coughs> try to say this quickly, there are theories of translation out there among academics. And in the, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, et cetera, et cetera, the theory that was the most popular in the world for how you should translate words is called dynamic equivalency. And what it says is try to get the basic meaning across in words that people understand today. And it was a little loosey-goosey. And today there's an awareness that words have really intentional meanings. And so the church went back. The text in Latin never changed. But it said, let's give a more precise translation of what the Latin actually says. Right? Does that make sense? So, like, for instance, one, here's the easiest example of this, is bef if you grew up Catholic, uh, the priest would say, the Lord be with you. And what we always said was, and also with you. Here's what the Latin says. The Latin says, the Lord be with you is Dominus Vobiscum. And the people's response is, et cum spiritu tuo. Which means, and also with you. No. Listen to that. Et cum spiritu Tuo. You don't have to know Latin to know what that means, right? And with your spirit. Very literally it means that. Okay, we'll come back to the sheets. Okay, so, here's, but here's that part of the Mass we're at, that dialogue. The priest says, lift up your hearts, and you say, we lift them up to the Lord. And what I thought was on that sheet, but I guess I didn't put it on. St. Augustine has a very famous sermon on this. And he talks to his people, <clears throat> and he says... When you go to Mass and you say, and the priest says, lift up your hearts, he says, and you say, we lift them up to the Lord, he has this beautiful sermon. He says, do you really? Do you really? And uh, very honestly, the, all of my life until I had my conversion, my answer would have been no. I said those words thousands of times. And I don't think a single time I ever lifted my heart to the Lord. Augustine says the entire Christian life, 
is about lifting your heart to the Lord. And so when we're entering into the, the Mass, and again, this is, this is the difference between someone who goes to Mass and someone who prays the Mass. If you pray the Mass as a Catholic, you'll hear other Catholics say, yeah, I just don't feel like I'm getting much out of Mass. And I, it'll never be you. It'll never be you. Because you're actually going through the Mass as God intends. You're not passive. You're actually actively saying, Lord, I love you. Here's my heart. Even if you don't feel it, you can still do it. You can say, Lord, here's my heart. Okay. Then the priest prays a preface. And, the, and he'll say, it is tr- something like this. It changes with time. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, and he'll go on and on and on. And at the end of that time, we have the holy, holy, holy. So, at this, so the priest will kind of finish. He'll say, therefore, we too extol you with all the angels as in joyful celebration we acclaim. Then the music will come in if it's a Sunday. And we'll all sing the holy, 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 the song twos. Okay, does anybody remember? Where does that come from? Why do we sing the, song, the holy, holy, holy? Good. So in Isaiah chapter 6, and I always forget the chapter in Revelation, but both in Isaiah and in the book of Revelation, in the heavenly liturgy, and by the way, both books understand there is a heavenly liturgy, the angels cry out before the throne of God, holy, holy, holy. And, And the last line always says, we extol you with all the angels. And the Catholic Church believes in the, in the Mass, the way what happens is heaven touches earth. And so we really mean that quite literally, that when we sing holy, 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 that's not just us, that we actually join the heavenly liturgy and praise of God. And so traditionally, like in, in churches as far back as the churches existed, it's very common to have angels in the, in the statues and the decorations and the carvings all over the place because the church knows that when we're at Mass, we are joined to heaven. Okay, so holy, 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 and then everybody kneels. So everybody kneel. It's going to be much shorter than it Sunday, I hope. Excuse me. So, I have good news for you. We have really nice kneelers in the new church. So again, one more encouragement about this. An angel cannot kneel. An angel cannot kneel. There's an act of worship that you can give to God that is literally impossible for an angel. It's a beautiful thing. Okay, so then we have what are called the Eucharistic prayers. And so the priest will pray, and uh, let's just do number two. That's the shortest one. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. 
And when in, on all four of them, there's four different options a priest has. And what he'll do is, he'll, when he holds out his hands like this, what he's doing is he's calling down the Holy Spirit to transform the bread and the wine into the body and blood of Christ. The technical word for that is the um, epiclesis, which is a Greek word. We won't, we won't go into it, but it's epiclesis. And, and here's what's happening there. And actually, why don't you guys sit now? Um, the epiclesis, another way to say what it means to be a Christian is to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Um, St. Paul says in Galatians 3 um, and Romans 8 that everyone who has the Spirit of God is a son of God. Right? And in Greek, son and daughter, it's, it's, it's not the way it is in English. It, but we need to get into that. <clears throat> but here's what's happening. So, so at Mass, we believe, right, the Holy Spirit is called down by a validly ordained priest and the Holy Spirit transforms the bread and the wine into the body and blood of Christ. Now think about this. That is exactly what happened to her. Right? That's what happened to Mary. At the very first moment of Christianity, right, Mary said yes to God. And she says, well, how can this be? I've never... I've never had a sexual relationship with a man. And Gabriel says to her, the Holy Spirit will fall upon you. Therefore, the child to be conceived within you will be called Holy, the Son of God. That's in Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> Luke also wrote the Acts of the Apostles. And Luke shows us in, Luke chapter, in Acts chapter 1, that the very moment the church began in history was this day called Pentecost. What happened on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit fell on the church and it transformed those who were there. There are, there are probably 50 passages in the New Testament where Jesus and St. Paul tell us, and St. Peter, that if you want to be a Christian, the Holy Spirit has to fall on you to transform you. So at Mass, the Holy Spirit is called down upon ordinary things, just like you and me. I'm an ordinary guy. This is ordinary bread. But when the Spirit falls on ordinary bread, something, something divine happens. Okay, so the priest calls that on there. And then there's a number of prayers. Let's just go see if there's one I want to mention. We'll talk about, <clears throat> remember, Lord, um, our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection. We pray for the dead. We pray that they would be with God. We're going to talk about purgatory still. We have to hit that. We'll talk about why we pray for the dead. But we pray for them at Mass. We talk about the communion of saints, right? So the Eucharist is called communion, koinonia in Greek. 
because it creates communion with God, but it also creates communion with each other. Right? If, if Jesus Christ, if when, and when you go to communion, if Jesus dwells inside of you, and he's living inside of you, and the Spirit is, and he's also living inside of me, think about what an amazingly profound thing that is. Before I became a priest, I remember I was going through this dramatic conversion, and I was probably one of those really weird Christians. You know, people are like, hey, Brian, how you doing? I'm like, amazing. <laughs> I'm like, life is so good. They're like, don't touch me. Um, but I remember going to Mass, and I remember I, going to Mass, and I received communion, and I just remember a number of times sitting back in my pew and just being, my mind was just blown that the blood that I had just received that was in my veins was in all the people around me, too. Which is why St. Paul says that the Eucharist builds the church. Right? The Eucharist builds the church. Okay. So we do lots of prayers. <clears throat> and then the priest will, <clears throat> at the end of the Eucharistic prayer, he'll elevate these two. And he'll say, through him, or I'll try to chant. It's a really hard one for me to get right. So don't judge me. But I try. The priest will chant through him, with him, and in him. And, just, and again, the words matter. Words matter, words matter, words matter. Through him, with him, in him. If you are a Christian, and Pope Benedict has amazing reflections on this, if you are a Christian, Jesus is on the cross, he offers himself to the Father for the salvation of the world. And through him, with him, and in him, so do we. If you understand that, again, if you understand that, if you go to Mass that way, you will never be bored at Mass. I don't care how bad the homily is, I don't care how bad the music is. I don't care how many kids are screaming. You will never be bored at Mass. I promise you that. I, <clears throat> I go on forever about that. Okay, let's pause really quick, and I want to share with you one more thing about that topic, but questions about any of that? Yeah, Pam. So how do I determine which one of the Eucharistic prayers? So there's four of them. I just choose the way I choose, and I'll just tell you this is me. It might be different for other priests. So Eucharistic prayer number one is, in my opinion, in most priests' opinion, it is the most beautiful. It is also the longest. And I have long homilies, and I fear that I'm torturing you all. So if I've gone too long, if I feel like my homily went a little long... I won't choose number one. Two is usually the most common, and honestly, because it's the shortest. <clears throat> number three gives a special place where you can name a saint of the day or the saint of your parish. And so some priests like that. If there's a special saint, you might pick that one. Eucharistic prayer one is, is probably the least common. 
but it's really beautiful theology in Eucharistic Prayer 4, and it's all about all of creation being brought and redeemed in the one sacrifice of Christ. So it's really just up to the priest. Yeah. Right. Yep, you're right. That's the next thing. That was good. That's right where I was going. So perfect. So Mary Joe's asking. We're talking about that in one second. Any other questions that went with that, Alex? Say again. So the, where do the Eucharistic prayers come from? They come from the very ancient church. They're developed out of the Passover liturgy and different Jewish traditions. But then the, the church, and here's, here's what we believe as Catholics, is at the end of the day, somebody has to say, how does this work? And so it developed out of a tradition, but the church had authority. And so the, the bishops and the pope eventually said, because a lot of people started to write their own, and the pope came out and said, nope. That's not how it works. We're, these, are the, these are the prayers of the church. So one of them, so Eucharistic Prayer 2 has its roots in a 3rd century saint, I think he's 3rd century, named St. Hippolytus of Rome. He has a fascinating story. He left the church, became a heretic, started a different sect, and he was uh, <clears throat> arrested by the Roman emperor and thrown into these mines. And towards the end of his life, the person who was thrown into the mines with him was the Pope. And he was converted back to the church and died a martyr. Wow. So powerful. Okay, sorry. <laughs> what else, Steve? Yeah. Yes. Common title for God all over the Old Testament. Have you ever heard Sabaoth? That's a Hebrew word of hosts. And that, it's a military image, actually. The hosts of heaven are the armies of heaven. And so God, is, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way of naming him as kind of sovereign overall and the most powerful. Um, but it's a, it's a very biblical name for God that goes all through the Old Testament. Yeah, Kenny. Yep. Yeah, how do you pray? Because they go so quickly. Slow down, right? Which I know it's hard to. You can't do that at Mass. This is one of the reasons. If you, so if you guys, have you gone? I'm sure you've gone. You've gone to other churches, right? If you go to Lourdes and you go to Mass with me and you get, then you go somewhere else, everyone's going to be moving a lot faster. And this is why I go slowly is because it's easier to pray Right, like, like the Our Father. We're going to talk about that when we get to prayer, and we're going to break that down. Every word of the Our Father, we will break down. But usually when you say the Our Father, like, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, mass is going long, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, right? If you, if you pray those words again, it'll transform your life. But there's no other way to do it than to be intentional and to start thinking. What am I saying? Hallowed be thy name. May your name be holy. Well, what does that mean? Well, we could talk about that, but, we, but pray about that. Think about what does it mean to make God's name holy? 
Right? What does it mean if God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven? Right? This is about being an adult, not just saying the words, but praying them. So it's a hard practice, but if you start thinking about them, you're halfway there. Other questions? Okay, so Mary Jo's point, which is awesome. Prior to the 60s, <clears throat> here's what would happen. You would go to church, and instead of me being behind the altar, I would be right here. And we'd be praying, and I'd say, Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received, right, the bread we offer you, fruit of the earth, and work of human hands. Right? It will become for us the bread of life. Here's, I think, and I don't know. No one can read the future. I think in our lifetime, I'd be shocked if this does not happen. It's going to return to that. Now, every year there's mixed feelings about that. How many of you, let's just do a poll before you know what it's about. How many of you think that's a good idea? How many of you don't? How many of you don't want to answer? Yeah, <laughs> good. Good, going in honesty. That's a virtue. So here's what it's about. What the problem was is that before the, the, the mass changed, what people tended to think was, well, fav, and it was in Latin. And so, so the priest up here saying, supice, domine, benedicite, I don't, my Latin's terrible. And no one understood, and it was just father up there. And what they started to feel, and I understand this, is that we're not important. Do you see that? Do you see how, could, how people could think that? It's like Father's up there doing his thing, and we just kind of kneel here in silence, and we don't even know what's going on. But that's not what it's meant to be. And it's everything we've said tonight. When I said, you know, my sacrifice and yours, and when St. Augustine says, lift up your hearts, right? Here's the whole point. The reason the priest has always faced the same direction as the congregation is because... When I say Mass, right, when I elevate the host and the chalice, and like, we'll get there in a second, but when I do this, I'm not doing that so you can like see the host, and I'm not, I'm not just showing you Jesus. That's not what's happening. What's happening is Jesus Christ is offering himself to the Father. That's what's happening. And just think about this, right? If I'm here, right, the natural thing to feel like is I'm like showing to you guys what's going on. But just feel this. If you're kneeling and I'm here and I'm like this, right, our, our actions say something. And what the church wants us to say is that Jesus is offering himself to God for the salvation of the world. And all of us together are joined in that. Does that make sense? I have, for our new church, I asked our architect to design our church in such a way that when the beautiful new altar comes in, there's enough room on this side for us to do that. And it's so beautiful. I had to teach a lot about that because people would be like, why is Father Brian turning his back? I don't want to stare at his bald spot. Like, what is going on? But that's what's going on. 
All of us, the church is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. What does the body of Christ do? It offers itself on the cross for the world. That's what the church does. That's what the body of Christ does. And me facing you guys, I think, has betrayed something where it makes us feel like I go to Mass as a spectator. I go watch somebody do something. That's not Mass. Mass is all of us together. I have a special role as a priest, but you're a priest too. You're a baptized Christian. All of us offer the one sacrifice, my sacrifice and yours. Have I beat a dead horse? Yes. Question, yeah. I would get permission. There's a, there's a history here. The church actually never once has asked for priests to celebrate the way we do now. But there's a weird historical string of events that happened that kind of changed that way. And I don't want to get into that because I want to get through the rest of the Mass. But yeah, Jennifer. The Easter Church is just a little different. They have doors here to hide, to veil the mystery. So it's, it's a little different with the Eastern Church. Yeah. I doubt it. I was hoping for Easter Vigil in the new church, but it doesn't look like we'll be done by then. So this will be fun. I saw one over here somewhere. Question somewhere? No? Okay. So the priest through him, with him, and in him, then we all stand, right? We're offering the sacrifice together. We all stand. You don't have to stand now. We pray the Our Father. They have the sign of peace. What is the sign of peace? The sign of peace is not, hey, how's your dad? Did Johnny win his football game, right? Can you believe how bad that homily was? That's not the sign of peace. Jesus says, here's why we do the sign of peace. On your sheets, by the way, the, I have the Mass of St. Justin Martyr, from the year 155. If you read that, and I've forgiven it to you before, but read that sometime tonight. 155, it's the same as what we do today. And he talks about the kiss of peace. In the ancient church, it was the kiss of peace, and all the guys wish it still was. Right? And then you like would sit next to the cutest girl you could find, just waiting for the kiss of peace. But here's what it is. Jesus says in the Gospels, and here's where the early church got this, is that he says, if you go to the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, place, leave your offering there, go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come offer your sacrifice. Right before you receive the Eucharist, we symbolically obey those words in the liturgy. This is not a time to kind of catch up like, hey, how you doing? This is a moment where we say, Jesus, I've been forgiven by you. I forgive those around me. And I reconcile with the church so that my sacrifice can be pure. That's what the sign of peace is. So we make the sign of peace. Then we do Lamb of God. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. If you don't know what that's about, go back and listen online to our uh, class about the Eucharist because I don't want to, we'll never get out of here. Priest breaks the host. By the way, we didn't, we're not saying Mass tonight, so this is not really the Eucharist. But he breaks the host, break it in half. He'll break a little piece off, and he'll 
put it in the blood. So at this point, it is the body and blood of Christ. And so the priest will place a little piece in the chalice, and he'll pray, he'll say this, he'll say, by the mingling of this body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so weird to say it outside of Mass. May this mingling of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ bring eternal life to us who receive it. So the priest prays that silently, and the Lamb of God, you guys are all singing Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Then the priest has a prayer, it's beautiful, he says, um, he prays about his unworthiness to receive the body and the blood. So every Mass, then there's, there's two prayers I can pray. Um, one of them is very short. It says, uh, May the receiving of your body and blood, Lord Jesus Christ, not bring me to judgment or condemnation, but through your loving mercy be for me protection in mind and body and a healing remedy. That's one prayer. And what, what I do when I pray this is you'll see me as I'll, I'll kneel down right behind the altar. Um, and then uh, the other prayer that's an option it says Lord Jesus Christ Son of the living God who by the will of the Father and the work of the Holy Spirit through your death gave life to the world free me by this your most holy body and blood from all of my sins and every evil Keep me always faithful to your commandments and never let me be parted from you. Um, so beautiful. So then the priest will stand. Um, and so I always break. And all, I, I always hold both pieces. You don't have to, but I'll hold the Eucharist like that. Um, some priests you'll see, they'll just have like one. It doesn't matter. The church doesn't demand one way or the other. But the reason I do it, the, the reason I do it the way I do, I'll just tell you, is that some people have thought I'm trying to make a heart. That's not true. Um, but what I'm doing, what I want the congregation to see is that the body of Christ is broken. And we talked about that when we talked about the Eucharist and the cross being the same thing. Is that the body of Christ is broken for you. Um, so the priest says, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. And the congregation says, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed, which is what the Roman, one of the Roman, the Roman uh, centurion, he had, he, he says that to Jesus in the Gospels. It's taken straight from the Gospels. But it's, a, it's an acknowledgement, right? Like, Lord, I'm not worthy. And again, do you just say those words, or do you actually pray those words? Lord, I'm not worthy of receiving. I am not worthy. Real Catholics pray these things, and it transforms their lives. I don't know how, but somehow I skipped the consecration. How did I do that? God knows how. 
But there's a, so the priest, when he prays, right, the words, he'll, he'll, during the Eucharistic prayer, right, take this, all of you, and eat of it. For this is my body, which will be given up for you. Two things I want to say about that. One is that God, it's, it, the, the word for spirit in Hebrew is the same as breath. And when God creates things, he, he breathes them into existence. So there's a, a gesture where the priest breathes on the bread, Right? And he says those words. And that's kind of why I hunch over like this. But it's also more solemn. The second thing is what I, I just want to say this. I said it earlier. So, at every Mass, I'm sure you've noticed, like I'll hold up the host. This is my body, which will be given up for you. I'll hold it up. The priest, this is where one place where I could probably be accused of breaking the rules. The, the instruction says the priest genuflex. Right, but I, I'm here for, I don't know how long, 30 seconds, something like that. We, I, know, I love the story, one of our, my friends in the parish, the, her first mass here, she had never seen a priest kneel that long, and she turned to her husband and she was like, is he okay? Like, should someone go do something? Here's why I do it, right? I do it because I want to pray the mass, this is my body, which will be given up for you. This is my blood. You know, I don't want to do that. And when I go slow, and, I've, and that verse I quoted to you earlier, every Mass, when I do that, when I'm kneeling, here's what I pray. Is what I, what I'm doing while I'm kneeling there, is I do not want to get used to going through the motions, ever. Because this is the most sacred thing on earth. And I never want to get used to it, ever. And so when I'm kneeling there, I run through my head that verse, Hebrews 9.11. When Jesus, as the new and perfect high priest of the new and eternal covenant, uh, when he entered the most holy place, he went not with the blood of bulls or goats, but his own blood. Right? Thus securing an eternal redemption. And what I do when I kneel behind this altar is I remember that my sacrifice is not a bull or a goat, it's Jesus. And I remember that I am kneeling at Mount Calvary, every Mass. if you really believe that, as I do and as the Catholic Church believes and professes as a dogma of faith, which basically means if you don't believe this, you should not become Catholic. If you understand that and if you pray that, you will never, ever be bored at Mass. You will never go the way you have gone before because you'll know that you're at Mount Calvary. You'll also know how to behave at Mass right? I love teaching this because if you get this, I don't have to teach you how to behave. Right? If you know that Jesus Christ is crucified in front of you, you know that this isn't the kind of atmosphere where we're just kind of drinking coffee and chewing gum and chit-chatting. You know that because you know you're at Calvary. Okay, 
so um, consecration, we've gone through all those things. Communion. We're going we're gonna to get this all tonight. I'm so behind. Communion, we might have to do a little bit next time. Who am I kidding? Um, Mary, will you grab me? Actually, I'm sorry, like one, like one of those ciborium. It looks like a chalice, but it's... So at communion, right, do you want to, like, like, if you want to be a Christian, and I know I'm beating a dead horse, but just hang with me. If you want to be a Christian, don't you want to be the Christian whose heart is just on fire for God? Right? Why be anything else? It's just like a marriage. Right? No one goes into marriage being like, yeah, we think it'll be good for about three years. You know? Of course there's going to be times and seasons, and anyone who's married can tell you that. That's fine. But don't you always want to love your spouse more and more deeply? That's the kind of Christian I want to be. I don't want to go through the motions. I want to, I want to be holy. I want to be on fire for God. These are the kind of things that will make that happen. The Catholic Church, and I'm sorry I'm so hardcore tonight, but no. The Catholic Church, right, does not need lukewarm Catholics. Don't need it. If you're not really into this, my advice to you is please, please, please do not become Catholic. And I'm, I'm very serious about that. This is sacred. I, I believe it is the truth of every human life. And if you're not, if you don't believe that, that's okay. It doesn't mean you're a bad person, but you shouldn't be Catholic. Okay. Sorry, I'm, gosh, what a night. So, couple of hair, so communion. What do we do with communion? When you come to communion, pray. You're walking to the cross. Look at Jesus. Look at the cross. In the new church, we have this beautiful crucifix. Look at the crucifix. Realize where you are. Open your heart. Even if you don't feel it, say, Jesus, I know this is you and I'm not there right now, but I want to be, I want to receive you. I want to be close to you. Pray that in your heart. When you come up to receive, the church wants you to bow. You don't have to be dramatic. You know, you don't have to be like, I don't know, like Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast. You don't have to do that. Right? Some people are really dramatic. You'd be amazed. I actually haven't seen that one. But, but also, some people are just kind of like, I, they just, I'm like, do you know what's going on? So I want to practice communion as the last thing tonight. Heresies of communion. Okay? Heresies of communion. You can receive communion either way you wish. You can receive in your hands. The church is fully okay with that. Or you can receive on your tongue. My big guess is that 95% of you want to receive in your hands. Right? So I'm going to make you receive on your tongue tonight just to try it. Here's why. You don't have to do that when you become Catholic. I just want you to try it once. And here's why. You don't receive anything else in your life that way. There's nothing else in your life you receive that way. And the Eucharist is unlike anything else in your life. And when you receive on the tongue, right, our bodies matter. Our bodies matter. And so when you receive on the tongue, it's, a, it's an act of humility. Lord, I'm not, I'm not worthy of this. Now, if you do eventually, if you decide you're going to receive on the hand, that's perfectly fine. If you're going to do that, here's, here's one of them. And um, where's Lauren? Do you want to come do some heresies with me? 
So I'm going to be you. Lauren's going to be the Eucharistic minister. So when you come up, right, I come up, and, you know, no, no I won't do it, but there's just. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm nervous. <laughs> Says the body of Christ. Now, if you're going to receive in your hands, a lot of people will go, they'll put their hands out. No. Right? So, this is, by the way, this is not the Eucharist. This is just bread. We didn't consecrate this. So this is just bread right now. That's important to say. If you, if you put your hands just together like this, right, it's a lot easier to drop the Eucharist. And if you do, it's not the end of the world. Jesus poured out his blood on the earth. It's not the end of the world. But we want to be reverent. And so if, if we have a choice between dropping the Eucharist and not, we're going to choose not. So St. Cyprian says, yeah, St. Cyprian in the 4th century, maybe 5th, he says, if you're going to receive Jesus in your hands, he says, make a throne for him. And so what I would do is I put my left hand, I know you're not children, but pretend you are, take your left hand, put it on top of your right, and make a throne. And then Lauren says, or if you're right-handed, or I mean left-handed. If you're left-handed, the other way, yep. The body of Christ. Amen. And then it's in my left hand, and then I can reach around and I can take the Eucharist. Does that make sense? One more thing. We say amen. This is the quote on your back from Augustine. Amen means so be it. So when you come to communion and the priest or the Eucharistic minister says, the body of Christ, amen is an oath. It's an oath. So when, when I say to you or when Lauren, whoever the Eucharistic minister is, says the body of Christ and you say amen, this is why this is so serious. This isn't a game. This isn't an ordinary thing. When you say amen, what you're saying essentially is you're saying, I swear to God it's true. That's what you're saying. And if you don't believe that, that's okay. You're not a bad person. But you should not make an oath before God about something you don't believe is true. You should be a person of integrity, and you should not receive the Eucharist. Okay. Heresies. So there's, there's that one. The other thing is like, people will be in line and they'll, they'll bow here. Yeah, and, and I'm like, right? And that's kind of creepy. So that's, that's one. Um, the other ones, yeah, Steve. Yep. Yep, you bow behind the person. And then you step up. Yep. Either way, it doesn't really matter if you if you bow while there's someone in front of you, or when you when they leave and you come up. It doesn't really matter, right? The church. We're not checking for these things. I'm not like, you, didn't bow. And we're not going to do that, but it's just a sign of reverence. Sorry, what? Yeah, and they should. It's not the end of the world. It's a, it's a symbol of reverence. Okay, if you're going to receive on the tongue, here's the key. Receiving on the tongue, trust the stick. Trust the stick. Trust the stick. Trust the stick. Your tongue is wet. The Eucharist is very, very dry. And you can't say anything. But when, but when you receive communion, right, 
All the priest has to do is, or the Eucharistic ministers, touch the Eucharist to your tongue. It will stick. I give communion to hundreds of people every single day. Right? I know this. So here are the heresies, though. So people who are going to receive on the tongue, or sometimes, like, here's one. Um, I'm kind of for communion. What do you say? Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. The body of Christ. Amen. That happens all the time. Or the opposite happens. The body of Christ. Amen. Right? And I'm like, what do you want me to do? So the, and I know this is kind of the funny part of this class. It is funny. These are real things. This really happens. A couple other ones. So um, if you're really tall, right, um, People generally have a pretty long reach, right? And they, like, people can reach you. A lot of tall people will, like, go ahead. Body of Christ. Amen. <laughs> Happens every day. Not kidding. Okay? And I'm like, you don't have to. And it actually throws me off because if you're stationary, I can aim. But if you're a moving target, it's a little harder, and you're going to lick my hand. Okay? <laughs> That's it. This is what happens. I don't mean to be, Lord, I am not trying to be irreverent. It is kind of funny, though. Okay, a couple other things. A couple other heresies, and I want to move quickly. I call one of them the slot machine. And that's where if you're, people want to sleep on the tongue, but they, they don't stick their tongue out. They're just like. And you're like, you can sit down. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, you're like. Don't do that, Okay. There's also one where people, all, so all you have to do, if you're going to receive on the tongue, I want you to practice last thing tonight, is very, very simple. So the priest says the body of Christ, then you say amen. That throws people off. They get a little nervous. They're like, when does my tongue go out? When do I say amen? You say amen first, but if you don't, it's okay. But the body of Christ, amen. And then all you have to do is just stick your tongue out just below the top of your bottom lip, Right? Just something, it feels so weird to do that in front of you all. <laughs> but just a little bit out. And so some people, I'll say the body of Christ, and they're not showing their cards, and then their tongue goes down to their chest. And I'm like, okay, you didn't have to go that far. I'm sorry. I really, I, every time when I do this, I feel like I'm so irreverent. And I, Jesus, I really don't mean to be, this is not meant to be irreverent. But these things are helpful. And I will tell you that if you want to receive on the hand, that's perfectly legitimate at Mass. But there's some, I really do think there's just something about this that there's just something of like, Lord, I'm not, there's just something about my hands. Not that my hands are evil. A lot of people say, well, you commit more sins with your tongue than you do with your hands, which is probably true. But for me, at least, there's just something about this that helps me to be prayerful and uh, to, that it's just beautiful. Okay, can we try it? I know you're all nervous and you don't want to, but do it anyway. All right, so two lines. Everybody stand up. And uh, let me just check the time. Okay, so we're done tonight. So if you receive, Lauren, do you have any announcements? We'll see you next week. So when you receive, there's more handouts on the table. When you receive, you're free to go. Um, And we'll be back next week, and we'll talk about confession and confirmation and purgatory and all those things. Uh, but But just try this, and then you'll be free to go. And we'll see you next time.